Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think I, yeah, I had a bit of a some bit of something the other week, but um, yeah, thankfully for me, I'm I'm feeling not too bad. So if if I need to carry some of the some of the the vocal burden today, uh, <laughs> I can Absolutely. do so. Absolutely, that's great to hear. Thank you very much, mate. As I say, it's, we're not quite in um, calling six stations quite yet. We sold you on, but I can feel it coming. Went through a pack of suvers in rapid time yesterday, but what can you do? We carry on regardless just as city have done alex and what a way to cap off a brilliant week on uh saturday um three games last week 15 goals scored three victories and <laughs> still not quite top of the premier league table because arsenal wow they are certainly um certainly having a great start themselves but um you know another another kind of comfortable victory for the blues um not actually the best it's so weird to say well, it's almost picking hairs at this point, but not actually the best performance against a Saints side who has troubled City in the past. Didn't get um, a win against them last season in the league. Um, but uh, And Southampton, they kind of press that City. They get under the grill a little bit. But this and it did put City off their game for the first 20 minutes or so. But they had chances from the second minute that they should have got ahead by. And by the 20, if they finally did take the lead, it was uh, Joao Cancelo getting the opener, a brilliant solo goal after the referee played an advantage from Phil after Phil Foden had been fouled. He carried the ball on and then blasted it into the bottom corner. Uh, Foden himself then carried on his hot streak of form by uh, grabbing the second with an absolutely lovely gink over the goalkeeper. Um, in the second half, just after the break, we had Mares who had missed a few chances early on. Um, scored finally got on the score sheet with a nice to take a volley, kind of a trademark sort of goal of his that um, kind of drifting off at the back post and delicate volley into the far corner. And then just to see off their scoring, just as it looked like he might be coming off and might not get a goal um, with South, South Coast sides um, seemingly being his kryptonite, Erling Haaland did bag. He did score, of course, taking his tally up to whatever it is at this point, 2021. 20, Whatever it is, it's absolutely ridiculous. But as as we say, Alex, not the best city display. But when you can still win four 0 and not be at your best, it's it's, it's that old saying and that old cliche. Oh, they weren't at the best, but they did scrape a win. They did. They fought in deep. They managed to win one nil right at the end. They came back and they they scraped through. And now it's well, city weren't quite firing all cylinders, but they absolutely blew Southampton away and pretty much were never in danger. I don't think Southampton had a shot on target, or if they did, it wasn't until the last minute, and certainly Southampton got a corner in the 83rd minute or something, and Southampton fans cheered as if they'd scored, so that was the level of 
how bad City were when they were completely so dominant. But yeah, not the, not the smoothest display um, from the Blues. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, really, because in, in one sense, we've, we've had a continuation of last season where City didn't really play well against Southampton. And I guess you could say this this game was a little bit not not quite as smooth as their performance against United or Copenhagen in the week or or even Wolves um, just before the international break. But then the outcome was very very much different to those to those draws against Southampton last season. Um, and I think I've I've seen a few people say that City's performance was poor. I don't think I'd, I'd go that far. I think it was just a little bit. I mean, Guardiola said after the game, it was you know he wasn't entirely happy with some of the. City were a bit sloppy in possession sometimes. Even the the players like Kevin De Bruyne, who you know we he's probably the last player you associate with giving the ball away needlessly. He was a little bit sloppy at times, I thought. But you know, overall, City still created plenty of chances. I was quite surprised really with how Southampton played, given you know they they were the team that gave everyone the blueprint last season of how to play against City, um, and they just they they sort of pressed, but it was a little bit like what we saw from United in the derby, really. It was kind of a not a full-blooded um, gung-ho press. It was just a sort of a, a strange sort of in-between, which is quite easy for, for teams like City to play through. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, you can't really complain with a 4-0 win. And as we'll come on to, there were some great performances, some great link-up between different players. But, yeah, maybe not City at their 100% best but they just really didn't need to be um and obviously you know you know when it's not been a tough game when you get to the last half an hour and Pep Guardiola starts making three four substitutions at the same time and as he said the away fans are cheering the fact that they got a corner so um yeah not maybe not the the a classic uh city performance but you know it's a four nil win it caps off uh it capped off an extraordinary week for the club and and yeah still unbeaten in the Premier League Still beating everything. It's you know, it's mad yeah, that yeah, everything, we've, yeah. yeah, it's mad that we've had, you know, we've had that Southampton, sorry, that Crystal Palace match, that Newcastle match, where they, it, even though City have got so much more firepower now, they do seem com- a little bit more vulnerable. I've said in the past, and as you say, there they don't have to be quite as hundred percent on the game passing wise because they just have such an overwhelming clinical advantage at the top now, and it isn't just as we'll get on to, isn't just Haaland. I mean, Foden is in great scoring form. And when you've got even your full-back kind of doing stuff like that, I mean, wow, what a finish. I mean, Jao Cancelo, he probably was the star of the show on Saturday. A great display, an assist and a goal. Um, on the left, interestingly, which we'll get on to, despite Walker being injured. And it does, you know, what a, what a display for a player who, when he first, lest we forget, when he first came to City in a massive 60 million transfer, I know Danilo went the other way to kind of negate that cost and getting 30 million back, but on paper, a 60 million pound signing who for the first six months or so of his time, he did not um, kind of make any sort of impact, was left out of the Carabao Cup final, um, victory against Aston Villa, um, looked like he may well return to um, back to Valencia or a transfer away just a few months after. And to go from that to being probably, if not the best, certainly one of the best left-backs in the world when you're not even left-footed is quite a remarkable um, achievement. Yeah, it's um, it's just, it's, it is quite incredible, really, because it's, as you say, he arrived as a right-back, um, transitioned over to the left, and it's actually now got to the point where um, just left-back 
Cancelo is just levels above right back Cancelo. And I think that's something to do with the the unpredictability that he brings. And I think last season there was there was maybe a few grumbles at times that because of uh Jack Grealish coming in on the left wing when they were both playing on the left, City's left hand side could look very narrow and sort of predictable in the sense they'd both want to cut in. But when but I think this season he's kind of got back to his best sort of unpredictable level where he is now going to the byline sometimes. He's also cutting in. Um and defenders just have no idea um why like they just don't have any clue what he's gonna do it. So um it's so difficult uh to predict what he's gonna do. Whereas like whereas when he's on the at right back, um you know it's it's pretty obvious what he's gonna do because he isn't left footed. He's unlikely to cut in onto the left. Um but yeah he's you know We've just it's another one of these players that we just expect brilliant things from now because he's obviously uh it was last season with the whole inverted left backs thing where he um really sort of came into the the main picture of uh players that Guardiola has improved massively and and he's he's carrying that on now um and obviously that goal that's I don't know I don't I think at the time I didn't really appreciate it enough but watching it back he carries the ball all the way from sort of inside his own half you know. He's got options to pass, but um, he's got that self-belief as well that he can sort of do everything that the attackers and the attackers can do. And, you know, really, he is just a midfielder, isn't he? He's, he's got number seven on his back as well and absolutely great finish um, with his weaker left foot. I say weaker, but, you know, it's it's pretty good. So, um, yeah, really good goal from uh, from Cancelo. And, and, yeah, I think it was a bit of a surprise that he actually did play on the left because I know m- me anyway, I thought, I think most people thought when the team news came out an hour before the game that it was going to be Ake at left back and Cancelo on the right. But obviously we saw uh, Manuel Akanji play at right back and I think we'll come on to him shortly. But um, yeah, it was probably a good decision from Guardiola because it allowed Cancelo to stay on the left. And that for me is is now his main position. I think the time's come we should stop talking about him as a as a right back that's playing out of position and doing it very well. He is just a left back now or at the least he's both. So, so um, yeah, excellent performance. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's time to say he's in a natural position anymore because, it, 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 as you say, he looks almost better there than he does on the right. I, I think, as you're right, I think you say it's his unpredictability there, as you say. like He's not left-footed, but he's certainly improved the aspects of this game, I'd say, from when he first went over there. You know, City, left-back's been an issue for City for a certain amount of time. And they've never, until this summer, when they finally brought in Sergio Gomez, who wasn't meant to be the main signing. Obviously, they were trying to get Cucurella. This summer is the first time they've signed a left back since 2017. They've kind of gotten by with Delft there, with um, Zinchenko obviously moving there and making that position his own and doing really well, but not never really being that the speedy, overlapping, really attacking threat left back, more of a, the midfield mould. Then you've had what Laporte there, Ake there. So many kind of stop gaps, and for Cancelo, who was himself a stop gap for a time, to literally make it so that it isn't a stop gap anymore. He is the left back, and Gomez is the one who's going to have to be good cover. Um, if ever Cancelo does go on the right, um, he can come in, or if Cancelo, God forbid, gets injured, then Gomez looks like he's got the ability to come in. And say, so, yeah, I think that left foot ability, because it was it was his assist, his goal was certainly with his left foot. And his assist was with his left foot as well. So he has got, I believe, I don't think he was quite as good as this when he first went there. So he must be something he's working on. He's He can go on the outside still, even though 
his obviously tendency is to cut inside because he is right footed. So he's improved that side of his game so much, which makes him such a such a dangerous kind of prospect for anyone to defend against. When you basically got you know you got Grealish and usually Grealish or um, Foden or Mares, whoever, as well as Cancelo, it must be an absolute nightmare for any right sided defensive unit team you know who come up against it. Yeah, it's um, totally agreed. It is. Uh, he has him. He has come on leaps and bounds, and as you say, is. His assist was such a such a pinpoint accurate cross, and obviously um, Harlem was very pleased that it came his way because he was desperate to get a goal. Um, it looked like it was going to be a repeat of the Bournemouth game where he didn't score, but yeah, fantastic cross to get to him um, from from Cancelo, and it was yeah, as you mentioned, obviously Sergio Gomez has come in, and uh, Guardiola has shown so far he's he has been a bit reluctant to start him. I think Gomez has only started one game, is it? think it was away at Sevilla in the Champions League um, and obviously that's you know he's young he's still needs more time to adapt to the city system having said that he's looked really good whenever he has come in but obviously Cancelo is the sort of undisputed starter and he's now even got that that sort of powerful left-footed cross which we've seen from Gomez uh, during his cameos this season but Cancelo is just showing us all that he's got it as well um, left foot right foot he can drill across in uh, really accurately and and yeah in that with that Haaland goal, it was just Haaland all he had to do was sort of wrap his foot around it and the power of the cross has um has sort of done all the, the hard most well a lot of the hard work for him. It was um brilliant delivery and yeah, really impressive from Cancelo. And it's it's nice to see because he is one of those players that is sometimes prone to switch off a bit. But I think it was good that on a day where some of City's other sort of star performers were a little bit below par, a little bit sloppier in possession he was sort of you know bang on the money um and had a really good game so yeah that's only gonna do is um yeah his confidence and his form good yeah absolutely i mean gomez did start in copenhagen last week as well got two assists of course with his shots that went in and like i'm sure he'll start well as we'll come on to um on tuesday evening's game and later on today as we record this show we'll get onto that a bit later you know rico lewis came on again um, I think it's it four appearances now in the um, in the Premier League so far for a 17-year-old under Guardiola. That's a great kind of omen for his career, and again another good option fullback. He's proved to be really impressive whenever he's come on. And then another, as we as you mentioned there, as you teased there, another kind of option at right back that we've now discovered is um, Manuel Akanji, who did play there. Um, I thought personally, as I, I agree with you, I thought the Ake at left back. He's played there a bit more often, but it did go with Akanji there. How did how did that work? Because he's been really, really solid and really, really good since he came in at the centre back. Perhaps a bit of a risk to move him, um, but he went out at right back and well, certainly didn't concede any. So how did he do? Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was good. It's it's kind of a strange one again with the, uh, just going back to what I said at, at the beginning of the show about I've seen some people saying that City weren't very good and some saying they were. I think it's just the start that they've had and the whole sort of Harlan mania is kind of not people's uh how people value a city uh, evaluate a city performance kind of out of whack a bit because you know i thought some people were saying akanji was a bit too slow to play on the right or that he didn't really overlap and stuff but of course you know city right he he was clearly playing the right back role where he took into midfield um alongside the the holding midfielder and i thought he did it really well um obviously you're not going to quite have the the dynamism that kyle walker would provide on the right and you know few few right back right back options are ever going to do that but i was quite impressed uh, with the kanji i must say i thought his um obviously we've seen in his performances so far at center back that he is very composed on the ball 
Um, and he's, you know, he's probably goes straight into the maybe top two or top three of, of ball players in terms of the, the centre-backs that you've got. Um, and I thought that meant that when he was talking into midfield from the right-back role, um, he just did it really well, looked really comfortable. Um, and, and it says quite a lot, actually, because obviously I think, you know, John Stones, for example, him and Laporte are City's best ball-playing centre-backs. But I would say when Stones has played at right-back, he hasn't looked that comfortable when tucking into midfield as the inverted right-back, whereas I thought Akanji did look really comfortable. And yeah, it's one game and Southampton didn't exactly put on much of a fight. but. Um, I was still really impressed and, you know, it, it's each game is just proving to be a, a better and better signing and a bargain one at that because not only have, has he now shown that, he, you know, City have got a, a very good centre-back for a good price, but they've also got more cover at right-back, especially when Kyle Walker, you know, over the last sort of year does seem to be picking up more injuries than he ever has done and that's just maybe a, a reality of the fact that he is sort of um, getting older now and, Maybe in the next few years, City are going to have to look at replacing him. But Akanji is definitely someone that's capable of filling in uh, whenever it's needed. And yeah, I was really impressed again. Yeah, that's it's certainly good. Cause I, I kind of went Zinchenko was sold and no replacement was immediately bought in. And um, then Cucurella deal obviously fell through and it looked like City had made a bit of a blunder before they changed the man on Gomez. And, you know, it, it's all worked out really well. But the kind of the biggest fear I had of City this season was that They'd lost that bit of versatility that they'd had with so many players. With Jesus and Sterling gone, they'd lost two attackers who could play anywhere in that front three. Um, with Fernandinho gone, they'd got they'd obviously lost the captain, of course, but a um, player who can um, go into centre-back when injuries struck and was relied upon towards the end of the last Ooh. season to play there, even though he maybe struggled a little bit here and there if it wasn't for him. Um, City would have had no centre-backs and Laporte was already on his last legs as well. So it's can very easily foresee a scenario where they might have kind of stumbled in that last running had Fernandinho not been available when the likes of Stones and Ake and Diaz all picked up injuries. They lost that and of course they lost Sinchenko who obviously could play midfield but rarely did, was the left back. Losing all that, all those players was, you know, four significant players as they were already and it was a big squad refresh but to lose that versatility, especially when we've seen how City, you know, with City's small squad, a few injuries here and there and they can really start to look light on options as, as we said towards the end of last season it was really um all hands on deck sort of thing for that center for those um defensive positions and if Laporte wasn't brave and played through the pain it's, it's you know it'd be interesting to see how that title where that title ended up so to lose that and not looking like they'd replaced it that well because I think you could say Haaland is just a proper striker Phillips played in defense in pre-season but He's more just a midfielder usually. And then you bring in Gomez, who can clearly play in midfield or in attacking positions and comfortable all over the place, just like Zinchenko. And there, as we discover, Akanji, also very comfortable right back. I, I don't want to kind of stake my reputation on him. I'm pretty sure he's done a kind of John Stones esque called a midfield role in parts in the past as well. And if he's not, he certainly looks like he could do it. Replay, getting that versatility in and having. You know, the players who can play multiple roles that helps Guardiola keep his squad small and hungry and has just plenty of options should injury strike is, is always a real benefit. And to, to think that he's managed to kind of create that again, obviously with Alvarez, he can play anywhere in the front three as well. Pardon me. Um, it's, yeah, it seems like it, that fear I had at the start of the season where they might might end up looking a little bit short in certain positions. And they still might. You know, we've seen a few centre-backs injured. You know, Walker's out, Stones is out. 
Phillips is out in the minute. Another couple of injuries or suspensions here and there, and it could look a little hairy, but they certainly, at the time being, got enough options to see him through. Yeah, I definitely um, shared some of the same concerns, especially when um, when Zinchenko left, because I just I just couldn't think of another sort of left back option that can also play in midfield. And you know, if anything, Gomez is more versatile than Zinchenko was, which is quite remarkable, really. Um, and is looking like you know he's he's going to be a great player for many years to come. But yeah, I think with the defensive options they have now, obviously Guardiola said, um, I think it was after the Southampton game or it might have been yesterday ahead of tonight's match, that, um, you know, he keeps changing the defence at the minute because the defenders just aren't capable of playing more than a couple of games in the space of three days at the minute. You know, obviously Laporte's just come back from a long injury. Um, Stones is out at the minute. Walker's out. Um, you know, Ake has had his injury issues this season already. Um, and Ruben Diaz had some towards the end of last season. So, um, so yeah, it's obviously it was... City weren't planning to bring in a Kanji um, in the summer. They weren't planning to sign a centre back when it looked, when it transpired that Ake wouldn't be leaving. They were kind of like, yeah, that we're fine with the four. But obviously, it's it's a good job that they did uh, go out and get him. And yeah, looks like they couldn't have signed. I mean, there are better centre backs in the world. Don't get me wrong, but for that price and for someone that can play in so many different positions, it looks like an absolute um, brilliant piece of scouting by City. So um, good job they brought him in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's having that, you know, it's not it's rare that City make kind of last minute transfers on deadline day, no less. But I think they've certainly made the right decision there with Akanji. Um elsewhere on Saturday, um Jack Grealish kind of dropped out. I'm, I'm guessing ahead of a big week, which we'll get on to soon. And not certainly not a certainly not any indicator of his recent performances. Cause in came Riyad Mahrez, who hasn't had the greatest starts of the season after being City's top goal scorer last year. Finally did get his goal here, as I say, a, a nicely taken um, volley, but still not the best display. Should have had at least two, I say, from the from the first half when he had similar good chances on um, kind of towards the right of the goal, but he beskied them or hit them straight to the keeper. What's going... Is it just his last year he was performing well above his station? And I, I still think he's a great player, but definitely not firing all cylinders. Now. Maybe there are a sense of... Um, did he get a new contract? Yeah, he um, mm. signed a two or three year extension yeah. in July. So, um, so he's got a few years left, yeah. So sense, sense of um, maybe, not I won't want to say complacency, but maybe comfortableness now that his deal's secured, his future's secured, do you think? Or is it just a case of starting slow will take a bit of time to get going? Yeah, I'm not sure really. Um, it's it's a funny one because as you say he was City's top scorer in all competitions last year, uh, twenty four goals, which is a bit remarkable. Just going back to Haaland, he's already scored twenty in all competitions, and we're two months into the season. But yeah, Mares was City's top scorer last season, played a really important role the season before that in getting City to the Champions League final. I think he scored three of City's four goals in the semis against uh, PSG. Um, but yeah, as you say, he has started the season quite slowly. He's he started a couple of games early on. I think he started the home game against Palace and maybe the home game against Forest. And obviously against Palace, City found themselves 2-0 down. And I, I think it was that game, it was just... Um, it just looked very sort of... A little bit too predictable, not very sort of incisive. Um, not really providing any sparks. It was just sort of the ball would go out to him, he'd pass it back inside. That would be that. 
Um, whereas on Saturday against Southampton, yeah, it's probably there's still a lot for him to work on, but and particularly in terms of his finishing because he did miss two really good chances before he eventually took his third chance very well. Um, but I did think he looked a bit more sort of um, a bit more of a spark to his game. He was, you know, taking people on more. Obviously, he found the space to have those chances. Yes, he missed them, but he found the space and he was in the right position um, and he had the confidence to take those chances on. So I think it was a, even though it's still not, it wasn't a performance at the top level that you'd expect from Mares, given what he's done in recent seasons. I think it was a massive improvement um, on how he's performed so far this season. Um, but yeah, for the in terms of the reason why he's had a slow start, it's kind of hard to put um, put it down to any one thing. Um, I think maybe there is a slight, there might be a slight sense that you know that just because of how good Foden has been, and then in recent weeks how much better Grealish has been, probably makes puts us a bit of a lens on Mares and kind of makes it look like he's been worse than he actually has. I wouldn't say he's been bad. I just wouldn't just don't think he's been anywhere near the level he can be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if everyone had had a poor start to the season, it probably wouldn't have been so noticeable. Um, but yeah, he's definitely not been up to his usual standard. But I thought it was it was good. It was good that he um, got his goal, first goal in the league this season, brilliantly taken. As you say, it's yeah. the kind of finish we've seen a lot from him in the past. I think he scored one against United at the Etihad last season. Um that was from a corner and he just sort of side-footed volleyed it into the into the far corner mm-hmm. um similar technique with this one um and also it was interesting that i saw the reaction from guardiola when he scored um guardiola was just you know far happier than with any of the other goals on saturday he was up out of his seat fist pumping point it looked like he was pointing at mares kind of sort of that's my guy kind of thing um so it's obvious that you know Guardiola's name-checked Mares quite a few times this season yep. when he's been asked about oh, how good is Foden playing or how good is Haaland playing. He's always made sure to bring Mares into his answer and say, you know, we've got other good players though, like Riyad Mares, which has seemed strange given that, um, as we said, you know, Mares hasn't been playing too well. But, you know, he's clearly been wanting to boost Mares's, Mares's confidence, getting back to his top form. And it's clear that he does he does believe and he does trust in Mares. Um because, you know, he's proven it over the years. He has nothing left to prove, Mares. He just mm. needs to improve his performances this season. Um, so I thought that was a nice moment to see Guardiola um, giving him his full backing. And hopefully that kickstarts his campaign because, you know, not that City have really struggled um, from Mares not having the best of starts, but, you know, the more quality, informed players you can have um, as options to come into the team or to start, the better it's going to be. You know, if there's a game where maybe Grealish and Foden start and City haven't quite found the goals or the, the, the lead that they want, then, you know, to have an informed Mares come off the bench is only going to be a benefit. So, um, yeah, it was a great, great, uh, maybe not a great performance from Mares, but it turned out to be a great afternoon because, you know, he got his goal and he and he played a lot better than he has done this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I should say, Mares is the one who stayed when Jesus and Sterling were both sold. So I think that does show the faith that Guardiola has in him. But you, you did actually just remind me, on the reason of his post that, and gradually, you're right, he has been name-checking him quite a bit in his press conferences. But last week, he actually like, kind of went a bit further and almost um, threw the gauntlet down to him. He said, um, he kind of called into question his physical condition, didn't he? He was saying um, he has to come back um, back to his best, and that was it. He kind of laid down the challenge for his fitness. I think that'd be why he was so happy with the goal, because he knows how good he is. As you say, he 
praises him all the time, but it was just that um, coming, <clears throat> pardon me, just coming back with the um, at the optimum fitness levels might be just why he's not been quite firing on cylinders just yet. But you know, one player who has certainly been firing on cylinders is Foden. Well, actually, Bad Guardiola's on a mission. He didn't have the best start of the season, but those um, that early rustiness has certainly been blown away at this point. Four goals this past week. And pick of the bunch, I'd have thought, was actually against Southampton, a lovely dink. And he's just, you know, ever since you challenged him ahead of the derby, he's certainly just really get, coming into his own now, being really decisive in the final third. Yeah, I think me and Pep can can share the credit for um, for Foden's recent performances. Yeah, it's... Yeah, well, hope, hopefully Mares does the same as what Foden's done. And after Guardiola has sort of given him a little little kick up the backside in a press conference. It can inspire Mares to do what Foden has done, which has been, you know, brilliant over the last three, four games, I'd say. Um, and yeah, it was a lovely goal. Um, I think, you know, last season, obviously we saw Foden playing a lot as the false nine and, you know, in that role, he did have chances sometimes. Sometimes he'd have games where it was more of a selfless role and he wouldn't get many chances. But I think it's fair to say he wasn't always as reliable as, City fans and Guardiola would like when those chances fell his way. Obviously, it doesn't matter as much now because of um, Erling Haaland up front. But um, yeah, it was an, it was a clinical finish, and hopefully, that's a sign of um, his, his sort of finishing mature uh, finishing ability maturing and just becoming better with age and, and time and, and minutes. Because yeah, it was a great little dink over Bazunu, um, and yeah, he's just. Um, He's had a really good start to the season, even if the first few games he was a little bit rusty, a little bit off the pace. He's shown in the derby and then uh, against Southampton that, you know, he is a he's a sort of sure starter now. And I think the fact that he was um, that he was rested against Copenhagen in the week, you know, kind of told us that he was going to start against Southampton. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if Guardiola opts to to maybe not start him again tonight in, in Copenhagen, uh, what with Liverpool coming up on, on Sunday and some big matches after that, uh, because he's just, yeah, he's one of City's key players now and playing really well. So you don't want to risk him if, if you don't need to. So yeah, he's uh, another great performance. Mm -hmm. And well, let's finally talk to him. Usually this podcast begins with a 15-minute monologue on Mr. Erden Haaland, but this week not quite as... um. Needed only the one goal this week. What a slacker! Um, came the fourth, <laughs> the fourth goal of the game, as you kind of touched on earlier. An absolutely rifle, the finish right into the back of the net. Nothing. Gavin Bazuni actually had a decent game. You know, it had the better of Haaland for quite a while, um, especially when Haaland got through and Bazuni beat him to the ball. Yeah, it looked like it wasn't going to be Haaland's day for much of the match. He he hit the post and was you know was ready to reel away the celebration when the shot. I think everyone. Everyone watching, even the commentators when I was listening to, was basically saying he'd scored, but he didn't. The post denied him. Um, stunningly enough, um, it looked like you know safe safe coast sides were about to be his crypt tonight, but not quite as he got the fourth. But um, it, again, it says something like even on maybe a frustrating afternoon. There was another chance, wasn't there? When uh, was it Cancelo maybe or Foden put the ball across for him or maybe even De Bruyne sorry put it on a platter for him and he let it go under his feet and it's like oh wow yeah. there, there is there is a you know the machine does have a glitch after all he, he can be stopped but sadly um you know even though it, the goal didn't matter in the grand scheme of things the game was well and truly done certainly was a great relief to Haaland and yeah the, the scoring run continues that's seven Premier League games in a row now I believe wow yeah uh Jamie Vardy must be Getting a bit nervous now, I'd say. Quaking. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, what what was the record? Was it f- 13? 13, uh, yeah. the, t- the previous one was 12, I want to say, which he, yeah. which he equalized against. Roy, wasn't it? That's um, right. And then I'm pretty yeah. sure it's 13. 13 or 12, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, a great finish. You know, it's just the kind of, ch- it's, that's what he brings, you know, with the kind of chance where you just need someone to get a foot on it. Um, it's the kind of it's the kind of finish that I think we saw Sergio Aguero pull off quite a few times for City, where a cross would just be fizzed into the box, and you know you just got to be in the right position, get good contact, and the power is going to take it in. Um, and City kind of lacked someone that could do that last season. Um, but yeah, it for a long time it looked like the kind of game that Haaland had against Bournemouth back in August, um, where obviously that's the only league or well yeah the only the only game in all competitions this season that he hasn't scored in um but having said that if it turned out to be anything like that game it wouldn't have mattered had he not scored because he had such a big impact anyway um in terms of uh well I don't think he got any assists against Southampton didn't did he but it was just clear in with some of the goals I think it might have been I can't remember if it was the Cancelo goal or the Foden goal but it was just clear that the defenders were so preoccupied with Haaland's movement in the box and whether he was going to try and get into the space to, you know, latch onto a rebound or latch onto a cross, that there was just acres of space uh, for the goal scorer just to run into and finish. So, you know, he just brings so much more than what he just does on the ball. So obviously, you know, we, we all want to see him score a hat-trick every week, but even when he doesn't do that, and even if he doesn't score, and even if he doesn't get an assist, he just brings in so much work off the ball. Um, and just you know, giving and he just puts defenders in a in a nightmare, impossible situation, because you know you can put free you can put two free defenders on him, stop him from doing anything, but even but then it's going to leave loads of space for people like Foden and people like De Bruyne and Cancelo and Gundogan to just sort of ghost into or you know to score or or do whatever. So it's. Um, yeah, it was just one of those performances, or at least it seemed like it was going to be one of those until he got his goal. Um, so yeah, probably not the the best performance we've seen from Haaland this season. Not as not up to the level he was against United. Um, but you know, I still thought, you know, maybe by his standards, it wasn't an, a good performance. But how he impacted the game, I'd say it was a it was a pretty good performance. So um, yeah, it's just it's it's hard to. You know, we get used to him scoring two or three goals a game. So it's easy to think if he doesn't score, if he only scores one, it's like, oh, you know, that team did pretty pretty well. They kept him quiet. But when he has a hand in loads of goals by literally just standing there and causing defenders to just have meltdowns because they don't know whether to mark Harland or, or go with the runner or go to someone else, then, you know, he is having a massive impact without even touching the ball. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was um, another good performance. Not his best, but a good one. I wonder if we'll ever see the return of the um, kind of man-to-man marking. If some manager will be like, "I'm going to give it a go," and just I think was it um, was it was it Jose Mourinho or was it just Jose Mourinho's Chelsea? I can't remember exactly, but there was a player who, when Chelsea played someone once, and Hazard was just man-marked, and the classic he's getting subbed off, and the the marker follows him off the pitch with the sub, and it works. Like sometimes it it, it is it's, you know you have to sacrifice the player from somewhere else to do it, obviously, and obviously City have so many um other players, but I'd love to see someone someone try it one day, just like that. Right, let's just give it a go. Every, you, whoever you are, you mark Erling Haaland. You do not leave him alone for a second. You frustrate him. You let him. Um, 
You just do not give him an inch of space. Do not worry about anything else. Don't worry about the ball. Don't worry about any other player. Stay on him. I'd, I'd love to see if it would work and if that's the way to do it. That'd be such a Sunday league solution to the best um, <laughs> the best striker in the world. But, you know, somehow I doubt it. But, you know, as, as I said, um, as me and Jordan discussed on last week's podcast, it does feel like the only thing that will stop Haaland from certainly breaking City's all-time scoring record, but even the Premier League record, is just the amount of years he may stay at the club. And an article from The Athletic on Tuesday morning has kind of um, given us some details on Haaland's um, supposed release clause. We talked about it last week with Joe and how there was kind of rumours it was Real Madrid-specific. That is certainly not the case. But the details of the release clause, according to The Athletic, seem to be um, about £175 million, um, or €200 million, Euros from the summer of 2024, only viable for clubs outside of the Premier League. So while it's not a um, Real Madrid-specific clause, because, you know, Bayern Munich could do it, Barcelona could do it, Juventus even, if they had the cash, I'd have thought, PSG, of course, um, it, it does. It basically seems it's only for them five clubs because no one else could afford that sort of transfer fee. Maybe Atletico Madrid in an absolute push, but I don't see that happening somehow. So, yeah, um, as a City fan, Alex, is, does this concern you? I think another detail was that um, the longer the years go, uh, the longer Haaland stays, the, the, the lower the fee goes as well. I believe that was a detail. So, yeah. it's you know, it's interesting to know that it's in stone. You've definitely got at least another season out of him, for sure. You know, those clubs, apart from PSG, are not exactly in the best financial positions themselves at the moment. It's not like they could go out and spend... 200 million on a win these days, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid especially. But, it, you know, as a City fan, is it is it concerning or is it just what you kind of expect? Um, yeah, well, I think, yeah, you're right. It's um, I don't think there's any details about how much it decreases, but I think that, yeah, the release clause decreases sort of year by year after 2024 for the sort of the remaining... Um, three years of his of his contract um but there's no details on on the figures but i i don't know like i think when you when you see the sort of term release clause it kind of sends a bit of bit of a shiver down your spine it's like oh that that just means someone can come in pay the money and that's that um obviously like what city did when they signed jack Grealish, the 100 million release clause at villa it meant there was no protracted negotiations they didn't have to you know villa didn't hold out for ages that was the figure. City paid it. Done. Um, and then with Haaland, obviously that could happen. You know, if if he wants to go and Real Madrid come in and say, right, here you go, City. Here's 175 million pounds. Haaland wants to go. City can't do anything. But having said that, the situation isn't really that different to City's approach with every player. As in, City have made it perfectly clear ever since Guardiola arrived that you know, if you don't want to stay at the club, you're free to leave as long as you bring in a suitable offer. And, you know, we've seen that with Gabriel Jesus and Sterling leaving in the summer. It's been the same situation with Bernardo Silva, but a suitable offer has never actually arrived. Um, so now you've got a situation where that is basically the Haaland situation because, you know, if there wasn't a release clause, I feel like 175 million is probably a reasonable offer. So it's is it any different, really? Obviously, maybe if, if Real Madrid came in straight off the bat and said, here's 175 mil, City might say, all right, maybe add another 20 to that or something. Um, but I don't think it's really that different of a situation because even without the clause, if Haaland wanted to leave, City would 
let him go as long as a suitable offer. And, you know, 175 million pounds seems like a pretty suitable offer really um, in sort of in today's market, I'd say. So um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. If when you say the term release clause, it does sound a bit like, Oh, that means you could just leave at the drop of a hat, but it's really not that in reality, it doesn't seem that different to city's normal transfer strategy. At the end of the day, if it gets to 2024 and Harlem wants to leave, City would let him go whether or not there was a release clause or not. Um, the release clause just sort of sets in stone the price that City would be willing to let him leave or they'd be legally required to let him leave. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not too much of a concern. I think whether mm. there was a release clause or not, perhaps by 2024, because that seems likely to be, if, if Karen Benzema signs a contract extension, that seems it's probably going to be a one year to 2024. So that was probably going to be the year that they'd be sniffing around anyway. Um, so I guess it's just it's a bit of a waiting game to see if, as you say, it seems a lot of an awful lot of money for Real Madrid or Barcelona to stump up at the minute. I think they probably could, but you've got to then figure in factor in the wages. There'll probably be fees like agents yeah. fees fees for Alfie Haaland if he plays a role. Um, like there was with the City deal. Um, so when you add those on to £175 million, then it's sort of a bit, well, maybe they can't afford it. So yeah, mm-hmm. we'll just have to wait and see. But I don't think it's any more concerning than than if there hadn't been a release clause, really, because mm-hmm. City are happy for players to leave as long as an offer comes in. And yeah, that will be a very, very big offer. No, that's, that's a really interesting point and absolutely spot on. I do find it interesting that it's like a no Premier League club clause in it. And, you know, as you said there, they were happy to let Jesus and Sinchenko go to Arsenal, which at present, is, you know, I think you did a great tweet saying, and we'll talk about them in a minute, like Pep Guardiola was so bored, he let, he let um, Guardiola let um, Zinchenko and Jesus go to Arsenal to get a bit of a challenge. It's going to be of course. So he let Sterling go, he lets um Zinchenko and Jesus go to Premier League clubs, City do, but Haaland doesn't look like they'll do that because you're just giving, it's like giving a, your opposition a nuclear bomb, isn't it? It's just not really um, a smart thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't, I, I don't think that was my tweet, so I can't take credit for that. No. But <laughs> Giving you credit, <laughs> credit, you deserve it. <laughs> yeah, um, it certainly is. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's the good thing. In fact, maybe, so maybe it's better that there's this release clause because. Mm. You know, before, as we've seen, you know, City didn't want to sell Gabriel Jesus. They didn't want to sell Sterling. But they kind of help, they hold themselves to this policy of you can leave as long as a, a suitable offer comes in. So they couldn't really say to Sterling, for example, a suitable offer has come in, but we're going to now go back on our word because it's Chelsea. Yeah. Or they couldn't say to Jesus, we're not going to do it because it's Arsenal, even though they've offered what we would accept from any other club. Whereas now, because there's this release clause with Haaland and it has this, the no Premier League thing, if Chelsea came in, you know, well, they can't. So so it is good in that sense. You're probably not going to get that situation where Haaland could go to Chelsea or, well, it's probably only Chelsea that will be able to afford him really, isn't it? But, um, or maybe United, but I can't ever see that happening. Um, So yeah, maybe maybe it's actually better that there's this release clause because it does rule out um, unless... You know, see, unless one of someone like Chelsea came in with an even bigger offer above the release clause, um, it does rule out and go into another Premier League team, which is is great because I think you know if he left City for Chelsea, for example, then yeah, 
it, that would be horrendous. Like imagine City having to play Haaland against Haaland twice a season. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so I think yeah, in that sense, the release clause is probably a good thing, like mm-hmm. better than if they had been one. Yeah, don't want a taste of your medicine, that's for sure. And I do apologise. The tweet was actually, I'm getting my City um, Twitter personalities confused, obviously, um, in my, uh, you know, cold, cold um, gradually getting cold in mind. It was Stephen McInerney. Oh, I can't say his name either, so that's even worse. Steve McInerney. That will go with that. Who did the tweet? So all credit goes his way. Sorry, Alex, but I'm going to take it off you. Um, and, you know, as we've said there, it's going to be, it's the start of a big week for City. Champions League, as we'll kind of get into in just a moment. But after that, um, we've got Liverpool on Sunday, who are in quite the mire at the moment. It should have been Arsenal on the Wednesday following that. But that game has been um, rearranged due to Arsenal drew up a league game, getting rearranged to the Thursday instead. So no, de- no date set for that quite yet. But um, October, a really important month for City. Um, we'll obviously go into more detail on Liverpool and the upcoming Premier League fixtures. Um, later on this week in another episode. Um, but uh, Arsenal and Liverpool played at the weekend. It was a massive game and, you know, Ars- a lot has been said about Arsenal. Started the season really well, beat Tottenham as they usually do in those derbies. But the real test when they play United, they lost um, to United side who were in a bit of a running streak, but as City showed, aren't exactly um, unflappable or anything like that. But so it's come back then and beat Liverpool who aren't, you know, also lost to United and are clearly not the Liverpool they once were at present. But to win that game after getting a couple of step backs, um, they played really well, really deserved to win. They're really shaping up to be the real thing, Alex. And, you know, we don't know when City are going to play them. It's probably good for the title race that's going to be for a while yet. Hopefully, you know, as a neutral and wanting to see excitement and not just a palm and steamroll of them. Um, we do want a bit of a title race. Um, it'd be good if, when they finally play it. It's um, really a, a lot of stakes on the line if Arsenal can keep their reform going until then. What, what have you made of kind of Arteta's gunners? And do, do you see them as title challengers or are they going to eventually fade away? But for now, at least, they are looking a real deal. I think my concern would be the squad. If they get a couple of injuries, they don't look like they have the depth to really um, cope with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I watched the game. Um on Sunday and I was yeah I was really impressed with uh with kind of Arsenal's um obviously it goes without saying that they've got a huge amount of talent and and obviously technical and sort of technical quality and physical abilities but I was really impressed with the way that they um I wouldn't say bounced back but they didn't sort of let Liverpool getting back in the game kind of set them back too much obviously they were ahead then Liverpool equalized then they were ahead and then Liverpool equalized uh I think I think I got that right. Um, but you know, it's Arsenal of old, let's say, or Arsenal of the last sort of five, six years would have probably just found a way to end up losing that game or not winning it. Um and I think Arteta has done well to change that. Um and obviously it's that's not just happened just because of him. There's been massive turnover in personnel, obviously signing a couple of, you know, multiple times Premier League champions probably has helped a little bit as well, <laughs> I'd say. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed with them. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli, you know, he's always going to be a player to to watch out for and City will do well to try and keep him quiet um, when the teams meet. I think the, the game at the Etihad is in February, I think. And then, as you said, the, the game at the Emirates still has, doesn't have a date yet. Um, yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, Gabriel Jesus has looked good as well. Um, 
in fact, yeah, he's still showing, you know, a bit of a tendency to sort of stray offside a bit. Um, and probably, I wouldn't say he's got any more clinical in front of goal than when he was at City, which was one of the criticisms supporters sometimes levelled at him. Um, but he's looked good as well. He looks like he's enjoying his football. Um, yeah, I think it's, I wouldn't want to play them now, that's for sure, which is probably a good a good thing that the, the match did end up getting postponed. But I don't know. I, I I think I kind of agree. Obviously, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me. But um, I think they'll they'll be in and around the top for much of the season. But I do kind of feel that maybe it's you know a little bit soon, um, or that they perhaps don't quite have the depth, or maybe not the depth, but the quality of depth. You know, we all know City don't have the biggest squad, but the the depth they do have is all top top quality. Whereas I don't think that quality is quite there with in Arsenal's bench. Um, and I do see perhaps maybe the fact that you know, I don't know. I just don't think they're quite as maybe reliable in front in front of goal as you know Haaland has made City this season. So I, I don't know. It just seems a bit more like they'll they'll slip at some point. And obviously they did at Old Trafford. Um, against United so while they're playing brilliantly at the minute and you know if they if the two teams were to play in midweek as 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 they were supposed to I'm sure it would have been a, a great spectacle so in a sense it's a shame that it's not but um I kind of feel like towards maybe like come April or May I don't think maybe they'll be quite there I mean they'll be there at the top but I'd be I think City are probably favourites, aren't they? Even if it's, it seems daft to say the team that's not even top of the league yet is favourites for the title. But I perhaps I think City are just, you know, they know they've been there before. Um, you know, now they're even better, more clinical in front of goal than they were last season. So um, I just, yeah, I've been impressed by Arsenal, but it would surprise me if they sort of kept City at arm's length for the whole season and ended mm. up winning it. I, I don't mm. really see that, but you know. Famous last words. It could mm-hmm. could happen. <laughs> so they they definitely have to take them seriously. And as they've shown, you know, they're more of a competitor now for the title than Liverpool are for City. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's yeah, they've had a great start. And when they do meet uh, in February, it should be a really good game. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very intrigued to see where the other match will get rearranged to. So I'm not sure if there's much room before the World Cup break for it to fit in. I would be very surprised. So it's likely going to be. You know, after the World Cup, New Year, it could be quite close to the February match itself. I guess it'll depend on each club's kind of Europe, um, European um, exploits and whatnot. It'd be very intriguing if they end up playing each other quite close together and it really could be um, a crucial kind of fixture run. And um, for the Premier League title, if both teams can keep that momentum going, as you say. And I think what's impressed me the most about Arsenal, as you say, it feels like they've got a bit more about them now. As you, as you were saying, like the head would drop usually. Um, they'd kind of uh, get really. You know what I mean? They still have, it feels like they, where they used to get ratty and morny and would lose their heads, they're now channeling that energy into positivity. I think if you look at Xhaka, there's not a greater kind of um, display of how they've changed, where he was always getting sent off, being reckless, being stupid. He's now leading that side, you know. Vice captain again, who'd have thought that, that coming really, um, really kind of positive energy all around. And you look at Saka, I think Saka's an amazing player. And I'd be having him and Foden probably as England's winger going into the World Cup, depending on what kind of formation a Southgate plays. I think Saka just really, really impressing with every passing game. And so they look really good. And if they 
it's, 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 it's be a title challenges of City's own design, basically. But it'd be very interesting to see, you know, it's almost like a Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker sort of thing. You know, I am your father, Arsenal. I have birthed you and now you are coming to kill me. So it'll be very intriguing to see um, if it'll be Arsenal's hand getting cut off or if it'll be them, the finalists. But, you know, very intriguing to see how it all plays off. As we say, there is a game, great analogy that he's still on form, even though I can hardly breathe. I'm still getting um, still getting. <laughs> Um, which you know, there is a match later on today, which we'll touch on briefly because I'm sure uh, by the time most people listen to this, it may well have already happened. But City are playing FC Copenhagen tonight over in Denmark. Very jealous of Mr. Tyrone Marshall, the MEN who's over there. What a city! Um, how do you, you know a win for City will see him through to the knockout stages in brilliant time? Not quite top because Dortmund have turned there, you know, Dortmund have two wins, they play severe, they get a win, they'll be on nine. So still within touching distance, it'll depend on the game at the um, Signal Aduna Park um, next week. Um, but how, how do you see Guardiola kind of approaching this? Obviously, Copenhagen, not the toughest of opponents, beaten pretty easily with a changed team last week. Do you see similar sort of changes, especially Liverpool coming on Sunday? You like some Gomez coming in, Mares probably keeping his place. Perhaps um, Ake getting a start, Laporte coming in for more match time. Maybe even the likes of Lewis or Palmer getting a few, few more minutes, if not a start? Is, it, is, that, is that how you see it going? Um, no, no, I think... Mm-hmm. Um, I know I said earlier that perhaps Foden would drop out because of the Liverpool game, but actually thinking about it, you know, Guardiola always says every season that the first objective of the year is to qualify for the knockouts of the Champions League. And as you say, if City win tonight, they've done it in four games, which would be brilliant. Yes, they won't have... Con- um, well, unless Dortmund lose to Sevilla tonight, I don't. Well, that even that, I don't think that would confirm them as group winners. But you know, either way, if they qualify for it's a big game, and you know, it'd be the first achievement sort of um, met. So it's a big game in that sense. It's obviously it's not the biggest of games in terms of they just beat Copenhagen five 0 last week, and you know, Liverpool, you'd think will be a tougher game, but you know. Grealish didn't start um, against Southampton, so you'd expect him to come back in. You know, just that bit of control in Champions League games. Like the last thing Guardiola will want is for this to turn into like an end-to-end thing with the Copenhagen fans who, you know, they're well known for having a great atmosphere at their stadium. Um, You know, riling the team up and getting them going at City in just an end-to-end game. That's not what he'll want. So, you know, I expect Grealish to come in. I wouldn't be surprised to be honest if Foden plays both today and on Sunday against Liverpool because, you know, it's it's a Tuesday night and then the game isn't until Liverpool game isn't until four o'clock, half four on on Sunday. So that's a good, what four days, um, four days in between. It's not not quite as bad as some of the recent ones where it's been sort of three days, even slightly under three days, um, between matches. So um, I think it'll be a strong team. I don't think we're going to see any sort of you know, young younger players or, you know, I'd be surprised, to be honest, if we see Gomez start. I think maybe, I think he'll probably go with the, I won't be surprised if he went with the back four we saw on, on Saturday, actually. Um, or maybe Laporte might come in. Um, for, you know, obviously Laporte's not in a place at the minute where he can play more than sort of one game a week. But, you know, he's probably, he's obviously fit, so but he's maybe he doesn't want to play him against Liverpool just because of how intense they can be. So maybe Laporte will come in, but I'd, I'd expect like a strong team. I don't think we're going to see like massive rotation, to be quite honest. Um, 
just because of the importance of the game and you know they want to get qualification boxed off as soon as possible um so that maybe we can see more rotation in the fifth or sixth game um before the world cup so um so yeah i think it'll be a strong team and then obviously it'll be a strong team against liverpool um on sunday as well but um yeah should be an interesting one but i don't think we're going to see any huge shocks in the in the starting lineup any score prediction from you um i'll go with uh i'll go with 3-1 to see Okay, interesting. I'll go four one. Um, and yes, it, as we say, can cut book their place in the knockout stages with a victory over in Copenhagen this evening. That match kicks off Tuesday, eleventh um, October, at quarter to six of the early game. Hopefully, you can get this listened to before then, and these past five minutes of discussion isn't completely wasted. Um, but I'm sure many of you may say the whole last fifty-five minutes may be completely wasted as well. But who am I? We, of course, you'll be able to follow all the coverage from this evening's game, the aftermath of it, and the build-up to this weekend's massive match against Liverpool over on manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can get us on Twitter at ManCityMEN. You can get us on Facebook at the Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City page. You can get Alex on Twitter at... Alex underscore Brotherton. And you can get me at Dan Murphy, M-E-N. Of course, thank you all very much for listening once again. Please do give us a little review on iTunes or wherever you do listen to those podcasts. Get us up those rankings. That would be very much appreciated. And again, yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back um, probably tomorrow or Thursday to look at the Copenhagen match and the, all the implications from that and look forward to a massive month, um, rest of the month that begins with Liverpool on Sunday but until then thank you all very much again for listening and for now it's around